Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. How you guys doing this morning? Man, this is the crowd that claps. I've realized that over the last several months as I've been here, it's like, okay, second service. Um, we can't move on to the next worship song till there's some clapping. So I think that's amazing. That's awesome and uh, super encouraging. Listen, I know there's a lot of us in here. Uh, I hope you're ready for the ride this morning, though. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere together. So it just feels like we're on a subway in New York. That's all. But, uh, but we're going somewhere, and, uh, and I hope that it's going to be great. Um, and we have been going somewhere as a church, right? We've been on this journey together. We call 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And, and with the theme of staying hungry, so we're going to talk a little bit about that again this morning. But uh, I just want to welcome you to the room. And if you're joining online, I want to welcome you to the room. And I'm just excited to be here. My name's Jonathan. I would love to get to know your name, but we're not going to get there, so we're going to keep moving, okay? We're on the subway. We're moving somewhere, but i uh, tell you what, it's good to be here. Um, I'm going to open up uh, this morning just in a word of prayer. Are you with me? Let's go before the throne of grace. God, we need you. We need your grace. We need your mind, your mind set, and we want it to be um, a transformational experience this morning as we engage with your word which has power to reshape our vision, our imagination, and the steps that we take in our lives. We ask for it. In your name we pray. Amen. When it comes to the concept of fasting, I always want to start with an audience sort of in the same spot. Like, what don't we mean by fasting? Um, And so we've been in this 21 days together, and uh, by the way, so many across our campuses are being involved in it, And, and for those of you who are involved, I know it's a meaningful thing. It is for us as well, and thank you for being involved. But, but as we get into it, I realize some people aren't quite there yet, or this is a new idea for them, or they just kind of joined our church family and not sure how to wade through all of this. And so what don't we mean? Well, the first thing I want to tell people is, like, this is not a hunger strike. Like, we're not trying to move the hand of God as if he is unwilling or unmotivated, This isn't about forcing God to do something by our own standards. It's actually more about listening to God. In fact, I realize that we're a kind of a a mountain mover church. You know what I mean by that? We're a kind of church just like, God, um, help us to move mountains. But the more more I progress in my walk, the more I come to the conclusion, I don't really know which mountains need to be moved most of the time. And fasting and prayer is one of those opportunities for me, I think, for us to say, God, which mountains? It's this opportunity to come before him and I think yield the floor. You know what I mean? That idea of saying, okay, I make a lot of decisions in my day, but God, what decisions do you want me to make? 
where do you want my focus to be placed? It's an opportunity for me, and maybe I'm just speaking about me, but it's an opportunity for me to ask questions. Questions I need to ask. Maybe questions you need to ask. Questions like after the first of the year. Maybe this is a good question for you to ask with me. Am I getting wiser or am I just getting older? It's an important question, isn't it? It's not inevitable that we are moving in the right direction. We need to go to the throne room and we need to ask, God, what is it that you're doing? And for us, we've said that this time, this year, we're focusing on that idea of staying hungry. That's what 21 days of prayer and fasting this year means. God, would you keep us in a place of constant hunger? And we're asking a question. In fact, here's the question in front of you. Are we, are you, are we building habits that leave us hungry for more? Which really gets us thinking on a different playing field. If we're asking this question, God, what is it that leaves us hungry for more? We're identifying a reality that everyone here in the room faces. And it's the reality that oftentimes, oftentimes one of our main struggles in life is simply, and this may be a surprise for some, but not everyone, simply we settle for too much less than what God has given us. We are too easily satisfied. I know we don't always think on that frequency, but the fact is we're often too easily satisfied. And when we're asking the question, God, make us hungry for more, we're saying there's something more. There's something more that we're after. And what are the things that we can do to increase that appetite in us? So that's where we're at. What are some of the things that cause us to be too easily satisfied? Well, there's probably a number of different things that we could imagine. Uh, Sometimes it's just low expectations. I think of the children of Israel, and they're coming out of Egypt, and then they have some trouble. And in this moment, it's really, it's not just trouble with circumstances, it's trouble with God. It's trouble with God because he's not living up to their expectations. And so they actually begin to shift gears and think that Pharaoh, Pharaoh, they had higher expectations for Pharaoh than they had with God because they say, let's go back to Egypt where it was good. Sometimes low expectations can be our greatest enemy and leave us being too easily satisfied with not enough. Certainly that's true of the children of Israel. We could go from from low expectations to maybe something that, that resonates in the room, fear of failure. Fear of failure can cause us to be too easily satisfied. Uh, you think about Gideon, for instance. And uh, in the scriptures, Gideon has the problem not of not believing in God, but not believing enough about God. And as a result, he's not able to do the thing that needs to be done. He's not able to rise up and reach his full potential because of his view of God and his view of his relationship to, to God and his relationship, God's relationship to the nation. And so Gideon is essentially just saying what we're all thinking. Gideon, you're afraid. You're afraid to step into the reality that God has prepared uniquely for you to step into. Step in. But sometimes we settle for less. Lack of ambition is another one, isn't it? Uh, we think of ambition oftentimes as being a negative thing, but the truth of the matter is we need ambition. We need competition. It spurs us on. It inspires us. That's why we watch sports. We need conversation. You know, every good meeting needs conflict if you're in the leadership circles. 
something that says, okay, this is what I think, but there's something else that I need to think. And, and all of a sudden, the juices start flowing, and all of a sudden, things happen, and, and new things begin to emerge. For Israel, it was the rebuilding of their city. They've been kicked out of the land, and then we see them come back to the land, but God has to give them prophets, and He has to give them guys like Ezra and Nehemiah. Why? Because when they re-entered the land, they begin to shift their focus off of a powerful God who had made them promises onto the nitty-gritty circumstances and mundane realities of life. And as a result, their gaze shifted off of the high priority that God had given them of a nation to rebuild so Messiah could someday walk through the gates. And instead of building, they went back to their homes. And they needed the Word of God in that moment to raise their ambition. To say, hey, there's something for you to strive for. Don't settle for mediocre. Fulfill your destiny. For many, it's just a comfort zone issue. The reason, we, the reason we're too easily satisfied is because we're so easily comfortable in status quo sort of thinking. I was talking to Pete about this earlier in the week, and, and he reminded me of the story of the blind man. The blind man who um, essentially is by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus has to come to him and John and say a question that's disturbing almost, right? It's this question, he comes to the guy, has been blind for you know, years, right? And Jesus doesn't start by just saying, hey, hey, who wants to be healed? He comes up to him and says to the blind man, do you want to be healed? Do you want what I can give you? As if it was a question. And of course, we're sitting there going, well, of course. But it wasn't an of course moment. It was a moment that was a defining moment and a clarifying moment maybe for him and maybe for Jesus' disciples, and certainly a clarifying moment for us. The truth is, to be healed, we have to want it. But we have grown, and we can grow comfortable with the status quo. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to do something new. I want to do something great in your life. But the question is, the question is always, are we ready for it? Are we going to receive it? Are we asking for more? So Jesus, I think in John 4, which is the passage we've been camping out on during this 21 days, Jesus in John 4 is once again bringing his disciples into this kind of a discussion. Guys, are you willing to receive more from me? There's more. I've got more for you. But are you pursuing it? Is your life, is your life oriented towards it? Or are you just kind of along for the ride? You know, sometimes I look at the disciples and that's what I think is going on. They're like excited to be with the Messiah. They're excited to be in the journey, but they're not really participants. They're onlookers so much of the time. We can become onlookers so much of the time. So to disrupt that, Jesus says something to his disciples in John 4. Something that was, well, obscure to them. Something they needed to kind of figure out and think through. It's in John chapter 4, verse 32. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Isn't that a weird statement? We've been talking about that statement. It's been the driving force behind this series of Stay Hungry. It says, guys, I've got something that, that you don't know about, but that you need. I've got more than what you're sinking your teeth into. There's something more here. Jesus is reconnecting something for them and for us. 
He's reconnecting the physical realities with their spiritual counterparts. That the things that we discover and experience here on earth have spiritual realities behind them. And Jesus is reconnecting them. He says you need physical food, but you also need a spiritual form of food. A spiritual form of nourishment that will allow you or propel you forward in the journey. He wants his disciples to know about it. He wants them to experience it. That's the nature of the story. In fact, here's how we're describing this reconnection. Jonathan came last week and he said it like this. He's made this observation. There's an undeniable connection. An undeniable connection between the physical world and spiritual realities. And in the 21-day journey, that's what we're on. We're trying to make that connection happen for ourselves once again. That's where we've been going. And we've provided a template. And so the template, I'm going to put it up here for you to look at, but this is where we're, we're heading and this is where we've been. We talked about confession, the need to not just agree with God, but to confess our need for God. We talked about praise last week, that, that the next natural step it would seem is to actually acknowledge who God is in this process, that, that these are the things that, that actually cause us to stay hungry to fan the flame of hunger. Today we're going to talk about petition, then we're going to wrap the series up with gratitude. So today, we enter into that third step, that template. Now this template is not a formula, Jonathan said last week, and that's important. You could get these in different orders, it doesn't really matter, but we're walking intentionally through these elements because we're, we're wanting to use them as a way to stay hungry. What are the habits that are required? Here's some of the habits. So, so we want to look at petition today. Now, when it comes to petition in this discussion, in this conversation, petition is really that element of prayer, right? That element of prayer whereby we make requests for specific things, which introduces, for many of us, a little bit of attention, doesn't it? When it comes to prayer, I know there's like two kinds of people in a room like this. There's people who, um, who are deeply concerned, like they're afraid of prayer. And you know it because you ask them to pray in a group and they're like, nope. The eyes go down, the jaw clenches, and they go, actually do the prayer motion, right? And then they just sit tight. So who wants to pray? Every, all the eyes go down. I did youth ministry for a while. It was a common occurrence. And then there's sort of the other element of prayer among us. The, the ultra-spiritual guys, right? The, the ones that are like, I want to pray. I'm ready to pray. I'm ready for a petition. And they're making requests and they're raising their hands and, and they're on their knees. And, and, uh, and you have these two kinds of people in the church. But what everybody needs to do or understand is a reality for us as we petition is recognize that it's actually impossible. No matter where your background is or what your personality is, it is impossible to petition, to make a request if you don't have a deep trust in God. Part of petition in the Christian sense is first a reality that surfaces in your life that you, in fact, believe God is good and trustworthy and wants to come to your deliverance. Petition is that idea that, of like a parent 
where, where you ask for something good and you realize, you believe, they want to respond. In fact, as a result, there's a lot of language in Scripture that sort of governs our understanding of how to approach God with a petitionary prayer, with a request and prayer. Uh, we have to come with confidence. We can't come with anxiety, the Bible says. There's no room for that because of who God is. We don't come to Him with fear. We come to Him with great boldness. We come to Him in faith. We have to come believing. We have to ask, actually, believing that we've received something when we've asked for the right thing. And we also have to ask persistently, which is like the ultimate test, isn't it? It's one thing to muster your courage and say, God, here I am. My name is, because He forgets, right? You've heard that prayer before. Maybe you've prayed that prayer before. And then, and then you ask your request and it didn't come true. Now what do you do? The Bible actually says, if you're doing it right, you're going to keep asking. Isn't that incredible? If you're doing it right, you're going to keep knocking. If you're doing it right, the way God wants you to do it, then you're going to be persistent. You're going to keep driving towards the goal. And God actually invites us into that process. So there needs to be this deep, to do, to do that, there needs to be this deep-rooted trust in God. But there also needs to be this second piece. This may be also unexpected there needs to be a dissatisfaction with the way life operates. We often don't talk in that kind of language, but it's fundamentally true. And I actually borrow that from Jesus himself, who is our example. And we hear from the gospel of Mark and Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, to be specific. Jesus actually praying to the Father. And as he prays to the Father, he utters these words, words that are probably familiar to you if you grew up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church. They're famous words. He just simply says, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Profound words, because what he's suggesting is that not all is right on earth. And he sees it, and he knows it. And he's invested in it. It's almost as if to say the closer he is to God, the closer he is to the earth. The closer he is to you. The more he's moving in earth's direction, the more he's moving in God's direction, the more he's moving in earth's direction. But he doesn't want the earth to be preserved. He wants it to be saved. He wants change to happen because not all is right. Because there's brokenness everywhere. Because things don't go in the order that they do in heaven. So Father in heaven, right? He prays. He says, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is very much a reality that if we are closer and closer to Jesus, we will not be less and less concerned for this world. We will be more and more concerned for this world and the people who live in it. And when petition is calling on God and inviting God into our experience and the brokenness we experience in this world. I remember when this came very real for me. I was an 18-year-old, and I just graduated from high school, and my first big adventure was to, to go on a missions trip. Six weeks, Papua New Guinea, deep, dark jungle. And it was an incredible experience. But I remember sitting on a hillside and been interacting with the natives in, in a village, and, and realizing what they were experiencing by way of brokenness, by way of hardship, by way of a spiritual darkness. There was a deep, deep darkness over the jungle. 
I remember getting in a boat and then going down river and, and interacting with a village. They brought us into their, their hut and all the men of the village gathered. I remember them pleading with us to come back so that we could bring medicine, pleading with us to come back so that we could bring what they called God's talk, pleading with us to go home and to, and to raise missionaries to come back to, to say what God had to say for them in their village because they knew there was a light, but they, didn't, they hadn't heard the gospel in their own language yet. I remember my heart just being ruined and wrecked and tugged. And, you know, it was those moments I couldn't just walk away. I couldn't just walk past the trouble. It was in that moment I had to pray, God, your kingdom's got to come. There's no hope if your kingdom doesn't come. God, something's wrong. Something's off. God, break my heart. God, help me to see the things that you see. Something's got to shift. Something's got to change. They're dying. These people are dying without hope. And I know, Lord, your job isn't to preserve this earth, it's to save it. Help me to get on that frequency. And it changed the trajectory of my entire life. Petitionary prayer is an invitation for God to deliver the goods that he has already promised. It's it's an invitation for God to show up and be center stage in your life and in the lives of those that he loves. It's asking God to call the play, to call the play that that you know he's got in his arsenal. And you know this is the time to call the play. And if the play is called, you will win. People will win. He will be magnified. And you call on God in that moment. God, call the play. This is the moment. This is it. And he calls the play and off you go. You're inviting God to call the play. And he's calling on you to make the call. That's petitionary prayer. Here's the thing. As we participate in that, here's what I think we actually discover about God, among other things. We discover that God is neither reluctant nor unwilling to answer in those moments. Don't you want to discover that? Some of us grew up believing that he is reluctant, that we kind of bother him with our requests. I want you to know that's the opposite. He actually wants us in that position. He wants to engage with us at exactly that level. In fact, there's a crazy cool story in the Gospel of Mark I love to tell, and it's probably familiar for many. It's a story of Jesus who just fed a bunch of people, and he calls his disciples now to get into a boat. And he brings them over to the other side of a shore. But really what Jesus is after is something that the disciples lacked something that they needed, a teaching or a reality that they needed to grasp or understand that they weren't quite grasping. They just weren't where he wanted them to be. And I almost believe this entire story is really an illustration for them and for you and for me. He brings them across to the other side of the shore where he encounters the demoniac, a man possessed with many, many demons. And as he encounters this, this story plays itself out, the scene really, Jesus jumps out of the boat, he jumps onto the shore, begins running towards the man. The man begins leaving the graves where he'd been living and runs towards Jesus, and they're both shouting and yelling at each other. And here's the most interesting part of the story. I mean, deliverance is going to happen, God is going to come through, the man is going to be healed, all of that great stuff. But the most interesting tidbit in that entire story sticks out to me every time is where in the world are the disciples in the story? And that's intentional. Mark wants us to understand 
This was a moment that the disciples should have been in on. They should have been joining in on this moment, but they weren't. They didn't know what to do. They weren't sure what happens next. It's almost as if they're along for the ride, but they're not willing to step out and to participate, to join Jesus in his great adventure. And so you see Jesus actually rebuking them for this. But it also presents a paradigm that you see in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, I think you see this paradigm everywhere, and hopefully you see this paradigm working itself out in your own life. And it's this idea that Jesus will identify the darkness, he will chase it down and defeat it, and then he will give others the same power. Later on, he releases the disciples to have authority over the unclean spirits. It was an illustration of the kind of meaningful relationship God wants to have with you, no matter what age you are, no matter what your background, whether you met Jesus yesterday or you've been following Jesus your whole life, this is where it's at. This is the relationship defined for us that Jesus wants us to access and to get in on, and petition takes us there. This pattern emerges to teach us something about the kind of relationship Jesus calls us to join the work, which, by the way, is why as we work our way through John chapter 4, we see Jesus take his disciples to that kind of an idea in relationship. Listen to what he has to say. He says, don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. (laughs) Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Don't you love that? Open your eyes. Look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Right there, right in that very moment, as Jesus turns to his disciples and utter these words, just behind the disciples is a town, a village in Samaria of all places where an entire village has heard that the Messiah is right there. He's present. It was too good to be true, but they had to find out and they're coming dressed in white. And Jesus is looking through his disciples, I believe, in this moment. And he's saying, look, open your eyes, shift your gaze off of earthly things to the thing that I am doing. You can participate with me. You can be a part of this. Guys, if you could just see what I see, he calls us to see. And he calls us to engage. That's really the heart, I think, behind petition. Look up. Shift your gaze. Join in. Open your eyes to the thing that I'm doing. You know who got this right? Elijah. Remember that story? Elijah gets this right. Now, there's a lot of things we can say about Elijah and a lot of failures in his life, but there's one glaring success. Even though he was almost alone in all of Israel as a worshiper of God, he believed God wanted to do something spectacular to secure his reputation in the land. That that for Elijah, God's honor was on the line and therefore he would put his life on the line. And he did at a place called Carmel. And there at Carmel, he actually goes against all the powers of the land in order to magnify the God he loved so dearly. And so you hear that story of him building an altar and the prophets of Baal and, and they... They're not able to execute the plan. Elijah executes the plan and fire falls from heaven. It's fantastic. But there's another part of that story that's also or equally fantastic. After all that's done, really the miracle, the miracle that needed to take place was on a national level. And that could be communicated only one way, through breaking the drought with rain. That hadn't happened yet. 
And so Elijah wants to go from that incredible victory to an incredible victory. Like the, the small place where not every Jew could be to, to literally where every Jew could be in their home. And the way to do that was to ask for rain to fall. So he sends his servant out. He sends his servant out and says, Show me when there's, tell me when there's a cloud. He goes out to the edge of the mountain, looks out into the great sea and says, there's no cloud. Servant comes back, no cloud. Elijah says, I want you to go out again. I want you to do it again. Comes back, servant says, there's still no cloud. Do it again. Still no cloud. This continues eight times. Finally, that eighth time, the servant comes back and says, there's a little cloud. It's enough. That little cloud became a storm. In fact, by faith, Elijah tells the servant, man, we got to get out of here. We better book it or we're going to get trapped in the storm. You see, I think, God, I think Elijah understood the heart of God was in this sense to show off. And this was the moment and he's inviting God to take center stage. He's inviting God to call the play. This is the moment to call the play, God. I like how John Eldridge sums up this story with Elijah and the servant. Listen to how he talks about it. He says, He's not just asking. Elijah's not just asking. He's teaming with. Teaming up with God. He's joining in the journey that God has him on. He's teaming up. He's joining in. He's enforcing. I love this. He's enforcing the plans of God. He's not presumptuous, coming up with his own plans through his own fancy imagination. That's not faith. He's actually following God's protocols on frequency with God acting in concert with God as if he has seen the playbook. And in this moment, he's enforcing God's plans. And the results are spectacular. That's petition. That's what God's after, which leads me to what I think then must be one of the highest, highest ideas behind petition is the concept of abiding or remaining. I remember uh, every year, except this last year, we've been on a rafting trip as pastors and, and some our campus pastors and staff, but then also some that are outside of the state that join us. And, and we, we get out there uh, near Denali and we start rafting down the river. And, uh, and, you know, there's opportunities to stop and there's opportunities to fish and to get out of, I call them boats, but rafts, right? You know what I'm talking about. And, and there's these opportunities, but, but really once you're in, the goal is to, is to move down river. And the goal then is to remain in the raft. And that becomes more and more important as you travel down some of these rivers, you realize how dangerous they are. And so you start to hit some of the, the rapids or, or you see some of the snags or you go through some of, of, of the, the eddies and, and you realize that, man, how important it is to stay with the group, to stay in the boat and, and to not get trapped or to, to get sidelined and washed in a different direction. But in order to get to where you're going, you have to start to work in concert, you have to start to listen to each other. Orders are being called out, and you're digging, and you're, you're positioning, and you're, it's a full-body, full-contact sport at some points in time. And the whole goal is to remain in the boat. And if you do, at the end of the day, there's a deep satisfaction. There's a shared story. That's what abiding is, isn't it? That's what Jesus is really after with us. He wants that kind of an experience. He didn't just throw us in a boat and push us offshore. Some of you feel that way. 
That's not really what's in the mind or heart of God. He's actually jumping into the boat. In fact, I'm not even sure that every moment of the day, Jesus is in the guide position. I think there's moments when he's sleeping on the boat. Because he wants to raise up leaders who understand the mantle and the burden that he bears. He really does want to share in this life with you. That's abiding. And he invites his disciples. Listen, he invites his disciples into that kind of an experience. An abiding experience where his presence overwhelms the senses. And at the end of the day, there's this deeper satisfaction that comes at just the right moment. Reminds me of a a song, um, and I didn't really know anything about the artist uh, just because of his age, and so I I talked to Jonathan Walker, and he told me who Billy Joel was. And, uh, and one of the songs that Billy, that guy's incredible. And one of the songs that, that um, Billy Joel, I mean, and Jonathan Walker too, but you know. Um, one of the songs that Billy Joel sings is a song called Vienna. And here's the whole point of the song. Is that as you look at Vienna, according to Billy Joel, and, and it's his own interpretation, right? You could disagree, that's okay. He looks at all the cities of the world, but he looks at Vienna and he says, don't ever, don't ever satisfy yourself with something less than Vienna. In fact, he actually uses this, this phrase, he says, only fools are satisfied because they're satisfied with too little. Instead, lift your eyes to Vienna. There's so much that Vienna has to offer, and in his mindset, he's saying, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what beauty is. You don't even know what satisfaction is until you have seen the city. Vienna, Vienna. I think that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to, by inviting them to petition, by inviting them to join him in this kind of a journey where we have this deep-rooted trust and we experience the dissatisfaction of a broken world and we invite God to take center stage in our life in miraculous ways. Which is a challenge for me at this time of year. I'm in a time of life where things are pretty busy. And not just busy for me as a person. In fact, if any of you are in my time of life, the 40s with kids probably never been busier. Am I right? And I have to ask important questions and tough questions of myself. I have to ask questions like, am I still up for the adventure, God? Am I ready to get into the boat again today? Is my heart where it needs to be? Is it properly placed? How about this? God, am Am I able to pray beyond myself? Because that's what petition will call me towards. Or am I just caught up in my own affairs? Got all the busyness of life. Is my focus, is my perspective correct? When it comes to what to pray for, I got to admit, that's real for me. And for me, I have to constantly focus and reorient my life to the priorities and plans of God. I have to make decisions daily to get back into the boat. I have all kinds of reasons why that's the case for me. And you probably have reasons why that's the case for you. I just realize that's where God is calling me and pulling me. I also realize I'm not alone. In fact, every year I read a specific prayer that I didn't write. It was written long ago. And it always challenges me to join God in his journey in a fresh way. It was written by Sir Francis Drake. And here's what he has to say. 
And maybe these are words you need to hear. Maybe this is what you came for today. Here's his prayer. He says, disturb us, Lord. When we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed too close to shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our effort to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. He's drawing that comparison with the idea that the more in love with heaven we are, the more in love with earth. But if all we are are people who love the earth, heaven's glory will dim and we'll be good for neither. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain who is Jesus Christ. Amen? 21 days of prayer and fasting, this is what it's all about. We confess, we agree with you, God. We agree with how you see things, God. And we confess we have need. We might need a perspective shift. But we have need, and we know that you are the source that can satisfy that need. And God, we look at you and we praise you for everything that you are and everything that you aren't. And we think you're amazing. And we are so in love with you and your ways and the way you operate. We don't just want to be in the boat. We want to share the helm. We want to ride the wave. We want to feel your pleasure. God, we praise you. God, our petition. Our petition is that we would be holy. We just sang about it. I want to be that. Don't you want to be that? That, that? that God, I would see the other side of the shore and I wouldn't be afraid of it and I wouldn't be comfortable with where I'm sitting, but, but that you would disrupt my life and you would disrupt my plans. Maybe, maybe some of you are praying that you'd disrupt my behavior and forge something new in my life. Prayers of petition. God sanctioned them. He invites us into it. And don't forget, he says, don't stop asking. And don't stop knocking. But I want to encourage you because people hear this and they go, okay, that's great, but my life is such a mess, I don't even know if I can get to petition. I just need rescue and that's all I can focus on. I want you to know God understands that today. In fact, I was talking with Pete once more a little earlier and he invited me to look at a verse. Actually, he invited our team to look at a verse. And it's a verse about a gentleman who is about to deny Jesus. I mean, we're talking about the worst sin you can imagine. I'm not saying it's the worst sin. I'm saying it's the worst one we can probably imagine. Certainly was the worst thing for Peter to imagine. In fact, he couldn't imagine it when Jesus spoke to him. Jesus, knowing that Peter is going to commit the worst thing ever, comes to Peter and he has this to say to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. 
Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And listen to this. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, God invites us to participate in praying that the kingdom of heaven would come to earth in some spectacular way. But here's what I want you to know. That while we pray for the kingdom, Jesus is praying for us. No matter where you find yourself, here's what this means. Here's why this is so significant, so important. I'm going to invite the team to come back up on stage. It means that God is in it for your transformation. That it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you find yourself today, what circumstances, the amount of faith you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter. God is in it to win it for you. He is in the boat. And he is inviting you into an experience that is reciprocal, where he shares his glory and he shares his thoughts. And as you discover and as you learn those thoughts, he invites you to call the play. And he will show up in those moments and he will transform the atmosphere of your life and maybe change the trajectory of your life. I don't know about you, but that's an experience I want to have in 2024. Would you stand with me? God, our, our hope, our prayer is that we would stay hungry. Our hope, our prayer is that we would grow closer to you. Our hope, our prayer is that you would be more visible as we step to the front line of the battle. As we walk closer to you, Lord, you would reveal yourself in deeper ways to us. We realize that a component of that, part of that, is this relationship of deep trust and dissatisfaction that causes us to talk with the one who loves us deeper than we could ever imagine. God, you've invited us back into that experience in this 21 days. We say thank you and we say, Lord, would you be glorified? Would you be glorified in each one of our lives and grow something new and prick our imaginations and take us further down river? We were never meant to go alone. God, you're with us. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for you. God, would you just be glorified? And all God's people said, amen. Listen, there's some things that you can do to get on the opportunity to petition today. We got a prayer team that's going to join you up front. If you need prayer, they're available. But we also have a prayer wall in the back that we launched a couple weeks ago. And if you have a request, a petition, would you write that down? Write it down. And then when God answers that, tell us about it. We'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. Otherwise, guys, continue in 21 days. We have another week to go. We're celebrating with you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you here again next week. We're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.